0: Have your brought your Bibles, yeah bring your open your Bibles this morning you have your Bible this morning turn over to Proverbs chapter 2 as you are well aware we have been dealing in the book of Proverbs and I guess probably and I've said this before uh, it's been really uh, exciting and fun for me to teach this uh, simply because of the fact that I know what it did in my life and I've learned a long time ago that teaching people the Bible Uh, is about 50% Bible and then 50% showing people what God has done in your life through the Bible. And uh, what works for me will work for you. And what works for you will work for your kids and for the people you work with in the Word of God and and however it it, it goes. So we have been focusing on the book of Proverbs. And I also have told you this before. I said that if there's any book in the Bible, I would love to have uh, Total Recall on that I could just... Remember every aspect of it, every verse, every word. If there's any book in the Bible that I wish I could do that with, it would certainly be the book of Proverbs. Because without a doubt, the book of Proverbs forms the foundation of, uh, of everything in the Bible. In fact, I have a little theory. I've never been able to prove this. But there's some things you learn about the Bible, even though you can't prove them, you just know they're true. And because you know they're true, for you, you don't really care if anybody else believes you're not. Well, one of the things I really believe, I believe that the, I believe that God wrote the book of Proverbs as one of the wisdom books that really deal with, uh, all the issues of life. And I believe that every story, every book in the Bible, everything else in the rest of the Bible, foundationally will come back to a principle found in the book of Proverbs. I know that's true of life. And I believe also that it's true uh, in the Word of God, and it's one of those incredible books of the Bible that uh, you bear spending the rest of your life in, really coming through. And I kind of gave you a breakdown of it. I showed you how chapter 1 through chapter 7, uh, really uh, every one of those chapters starts out with the heading, My Son. And it's, inspirationally, God's giving you instruction as His Son. Uh, from chapter 8 to chapter 30, we've talked about how that that all those deal with uh, an incredible... Uh, set of one-liners which really in each verse just about, sometimes word by word, really spell out the real issues of life that we have to deal with and, and how our, we should respond to it. And then of course uh, when you get to chapter 31 you really get a picture of what your life and my life should be after we apply everything that the book of Proverbs says. And we follow the guidelines in the book of Proverbs and of course that's the virtuous woman. And the virtuous woman is, in the Bible is the church. A woman who is a, uh, a virtue by virtue of the, what she got from Christ, and uh, it's an incredible thing. In fact, you can go through Proverbs chapter 31, and you can find the work of the church, the body of Christ, laid out there in an incredible, detailed way. What a tremendous book it is. And we have been dealing with the biblical approach of how you and I uh, can build uh, our life with Christ. We talk over and over again about the day and age that we live in, the Laodicean church. And I have told you many times that our goal here at our church is to build a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean church age. Of course, we know that uh, any church will only be as strong as the individual people in it. And so, therefore, we're building Philadelphian lives. And that's really what it's about, investing our lives in the Word of God. Now, so far in the first four or five verses, we've talked about how uh, you are to get into the Word of God. Your attitude, the aspects of you really learning the Bible. We talked about how we receive the Word of God once you receive it. How you hide it. How you have to work incline your ear. Then you apply it to your heart. Then we talked about crying and lifting your voice. About your prayer to ask God to teach you the Bible. And then seeking and searching your attitude of going through the Word of God. And then it it came to the point in verse 5 where it says when you did that... You would, you would know who God is, the fear of the Lord, and you'd understand what God said, the knowledge of God. Now today, I want to uh, continue on here in verse 6 and talk about some things, as far as time permits this morning, of what, what the Word of God does for you. When you make an investment in the Word of God, it pays dividends. And your investment is found in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The invest the, the 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 payout on your dividend on your investment, your dividend of what the Bible does for you. And you've got to remember, when you, when you invest your life in the Word of God, it has an effect on you. It changes some things. That's the way God designed it. And when you invest your time doing it the right way, like we've talked about in chapter two, then God does some things for you that really help you. Uh, really get and attain the goals that you want to have in your life. And I want to begin reading today in Proverbs chapter 2. We'll pick it up here in verse 6. It says, "...For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of his saints." Then shalt thou understand righteousness, and judgment, and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Now, Father, we come to you today humbly asking you to teach us your word. We know that a man can receive nothing lest it come from heaven. And we know that the Bible is your book. It's written by you, it's preserved by your hand, and Lord, uh, it only is taught by your Spirit. And I pray, Father, that each one of us this morning would look into our own heart, into our own lives, and that in the quietness of this moment, as we seek your face, Lord, and seek your favor, that you you would have us confess anything in our lives that would be unpleasing to you, that would keep us from receiving whatever you have for us. Lord, it's been a, a good week, but, Lord, it's been a long week, and we've had to deal with the world, we've had to deal with unsaved situations, and we've had to deal with just a lot of things. And, Lord, that's because that's the world that we live in, and we know that those things can get us dirty. And, Lord, if we haven't taken the time to cleanse ourselves from, with your word and ask you to forgive us for those daily sins that keep us from receiving the things of God, I pray, Father, that even now you'd have each one of us search our hearts And uh, Lord, uh, bring to you those things that you could wash them in your blood, and Lord, give us the ability then to receive Bible doctrine today. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, there's a number of things here that I want to look at today, and I want to help you understand uh, how the Bible really works for you. Now, we start out here in verse 6 and 7, and he says this, and this is what God will do for you <coughs> once you give to Him the things in the first four verses. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of His mouth <coughs> come knowledge and understanding. Now we've talked about this in, in pretty good detail, how that <coughs> there's three things that God gives you. And of course, that's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And I've, I've critiqued that for you in the biblical sense, uh, the way the Bible teaches it. The knowledge is facts. And uh, knowledge is learning the events that are around you, facts of whatever. But wisdom is <coughs> taking those facts and doing something with it. And you'll find that a man who gets the facts about uh, the stock market, and he studies the stock market, <coughs> and he learns how the stock market works, in time he gets wisdom about the stock market, and then uh, he can make money or whatever the case may be a man who uh, looks at uh, the business world and uh, he wants to go into business for himself. He studies it. He does the investigation on it. He finds out you know, the ins and the outs of it. And then uh, in time, through the process of doing it, learning more, getting more information, he gets insight into how to run a successful business. He now has the facts and he now has the wisdom. And he knows how to make it all work. It's true of anything in life. Anything in life, you are going to get, uh, you, you see it all the time. And, I, and I've used these illustrations before. You see it in the in the world where, uh, you know, when you sit down and you watch the 6 o'clock news, or you watch this, or you watch 60 minutes, or whatever, uh, You you learn that what you're getting is somebody's getting knowledge. He's taking that knowledge and processing it. He's adding to it... <coughs> Uh, a vast amount of more material, and through that you get wisdom about the knowledge. You understand more than just the facts. You get the insight on what's going on. Now the difference between a, a Christian and the world, and what God gives you that the world cannot have. The world can have knowledge, and the world can have wisdom. But the world cannot have understanding. Because understanding is the missing equation that explains to us what God is doing in the equation. And i used it before. <clears throat> you can look at history and you can study history and you can see the facts. You can see all of the aspects and you can learn those facts. Louis XIV, you know, King Edward I. I mean, the Crusade. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Pope Urban, Pope... You know, whoever you want. You can get all of the facts and then you can study history and then you can stand up before a crowd in UMKC or whatever university or college you want to go to and you can dictate history where people say, wow, man, that is really uh, a great understanding of how our history lays out. You can do it with world history. You can do it with American history. You can do it in any aspect of anything in life. But the real missing key is What is God doing in history? And that's understanding. Understanding will always be your perspective of standing back and seeing the knowledge, seeing the wisdom, but then understanding it from God's standpoint. That you realize what God is doing. Because God is the God of history, just like He's the God of prophecy. And God started a work in Genesis chapter 1, and He doesn't finish that work to Revelation chapter 22. So when you have facts, and you have wisdom, but you don't have understanding, you do not have the completeness of what you're trying to understand. Because it will never be complete Do you see it as what God is doing in anything. And I don't care what it is. And that is what the Bible does for you. It doesn't just give you knowledge and wisdom, but it also gives you understanding. He says in verse 6, out of his, out of his mouth, For the Lord giveth wisdom... <coughs> Out of His mouth cometh knowledge. So clearly linked to the Word of God. Anytime you find God's mouth, God's words, out of His mouth, God speaks, it's always going to be in relationship to His Word. When you get into the Word of God, when you do what verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 tell you to do, you're going to come away with a superior intellect. I don't mean that, in that you're going to be better than anybody else, but you're going to see things that other people do not see you're going to understand when other people are confused. Other people are going to be limited by the facts and the wisdom of those facts, but you're going to see it from the most important standpoint of everything in the world. That's God's standpoint. It's what God is doing. It's what God is doing. We get the idea that history is about what man has done to make the world a better place or what man has done to get to the point where uh, society gets to be a better place. The truth of the matter is that history is not about anything that man's doing. History is about what God is doing. And if you don't see that, you don't have a perspective of history that's going to really show you much other than a lot of Gentiles killing each other and stepping over each other (coughs) for the purpose of one ruling over the other. So the first thing he says, is verse 6, is... That the Lord will give us wisdom, and will give us knowledge, and give us understanding. Now the next thing he says is in verse 7. And he says, He layeth up sound wisdom uh, for the righteous. Now, we talked about how that God will give us wisdom. And we talked about how an unsaved man can have wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom in this world. One of them is the wisdom that an unsaved man has. And an unsaved man can be a wise man. I mean, a wise, an unsaved man can be wise as far as the limited to the things that he can see and understand. And they may be good things. You may find a guy that's a stockbroker that has a lot of wisdom about the stock market, and he can make you a lot of money or put your stocks in a place where you won't get hurt when everything falls down. You can find guys that uh, really understand how to do a business. And because they have wisdom of the world, in the business world, uh, they will make a business work where many will make it fa- or will not make it, and it will fail. You're going to find people that have wisdom about how to raise their kids. Unshaped people. They'll realize that good values are good for your kids, and they will have a love for the kids that they'll understand that they have to discipline, and they put the right things in their life, and they have wisdom. They're lost. They're not saved. But they have worldly wisdom from that standpoint. And you're going to find in every aspect of life, you're going to find there are people (coughs) with worldly wisdom. But you see, then there's God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is defined in verse 7 as sound wisdom. Now that's an incredible phrase. Sound wisdom. You know why it's different from the worldly wisdom? And I'm not saying the worldly wisdom uh, will not get you through life. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that it, 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 you know, there are people out there who have a lot of wisdom and a lot, a lot of things, and we don't benefit from it. The reason why we got electricity and running water and inside toilets and cars and automobiles and all the things that we have is because somebody developed worldly wisdom to a point that it made society somewhat a better place to live and made things easy for us. I don't know if that's good or that's bad, but that's the way it happened. So there's a difference between worldly wisdom that produces good, re- good results and sound wisdom that is God's wisdom. Because sound wisdom is built on biblical principles, absolute standards by which the universe and the world run by. And where a, a, a man uh, who, with worldly wisdom, may make some mistakes in his wisdom, and he may make, I mean, he's not going to hit the stock market a thousand times in a row and he's going to make bad calls, and there's going to be things that throw him off and he misses. This indicator was off, so it threw him off here. Because he has to depend on his own human spirit, and what he sees around him, and his own brain mass, and his brain power, and his ingenuity, and his tenacity, and all of those things that make a, a, a man successful without God. He has to depend on that. And the best he can be, he, at times he will fail, make mistakes, because he is fallible. But when it comes to sound wisdom, this is where it works better than anything else. Because if you follow the wisdom of God, sound wisdom, it will never lead you down the wrong path. You'll never make the wrong decision. The only wrong decision you ever make is not to follow it. But God's wisdom is sound. Because it's based on absolute, infallible principles that will never change. That is one thing that you have to understand about the Bible. Now I know the Bible's a lot of things, and I know the Bible covers a lot of areas, but one of the things the Bible does, and we've touched on this before, is the Bible sets down a consistency, and that consistency never changes. And that's why whatever worked in the book of Acts will work today. That's why whatever worked in the Old Testament as far as the Ten Commandments and a righteous rule that you can follow will work today. That's why God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why that the main thing of the Bible you have to see is its consistency. Now that's why you can rest in the Bible with sound wisdom when any other book written by saved people or lost people are always going to be suspect to a certain degree because they are fallible. And even the best saved man, the best saved woman, The best unsaved man and the best unsaved woman, no matter how wise they are, are prone to mistakes because they're human. And that's why you never take anything anybody says, saved or lost, whether it's your preacher or whoever, over the sound doctrine of the Word of God. That has to be all of our basic foundation from which we operate. And it's as simple as that. (coughs) And you're going to (coughs) find, you know, that... (coughs) Uh, unsaved men will give you good advice. I think one of the greatest things that I ever heard was by Don Coglione. He said, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Now that's good. The Bible says, let them do to you whatever they want because God is the one that's going to take care of you and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You see, one is worldly wisdom that works for a group. The other one is sound wisdom. Because the very best Don Corleone could say, he still got shot several times in the movie. And the best of wisdom that he had, there was some enemy out there that he just got let too close or not close enough. With God, you don't have to worry about that. You know why? Because his teachings are sound. You can take them to the bank. You can can stay with them. And then verse 7 says this. He says, he layeth up sound wisdom. Oh, that's a great concept. You know what he does? He stores it for you. You know, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's some incredible stories. And they all have incredible teaching that really brings so much truth to our lives. Even though it's written to the Jews, there's so much practical stuff in it. One of the stories, and you all know this story, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the Gospels, it's where he feeds the 5,000. And I've looked at that story many, many times, and I've thought, wow, what a great story that is. Because, and there's a tremendous study line behind it that will give you tremendous insight of how God deals in your own life. But we don't have time to deal with that this morning. But I want to show you this. Now here's a bunch of people that they don't have anything to eat. And there's one little guy that has five loaves and some fishes down here. And Jesus takes those, and He multiplies it, and He feeds them. And that is an incredible picture of how God takes care of us as children by feeding us, giving us His Word. And if you go down through there, I mean, the whole story just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, lays itself out Point upon point of how God deals with us in the Word of God. One of the first things it says, that Jesus knew they didn't have any food, and He asked them where they're going to get food because He wanted to prove them. In other words, sometimes God will ask you questions just to see what your answer is. When He already knows what He's going to do. So, you know, I'll tell you something else. He, He brought that crowd, He took them out into a desert, the Bible says. Deserted place. And there He feeds them. Sometimes God has to get you into a desert when there's nothing else around so He can get your attention to give you what He wants. All this study's incredible. Well, He makes this great miracle and He feeds everybody. And the Bible says it very clearly. <clears throat> they can have as much as they want. You know, that's true when it comes to the Bible. The only thing that will limit you with what you get from the Bible is you. You can have as much as you want. And he says, every man could have as much as they want, eight to their fill, however he says it. And then he says, there was 12 baskets left over. I like leftovers, man. I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, 12 baskets left over. You know what Jesus says? He says, get all this stuff, pick up, that nothing will be lost. You know why? Because you're not going to understand everything you read from the Bible right now when you read it. But that's okay. God is going to store it up for you anyhow. And I promise you, nothing you read that you don't understand will be lost. You may not be able to eat it right now, but He'll lay it up for you that you can eat it later when you better understand it. Now that is one of the greatest concepts (coughs) that you'll ever get out of the Bible. Your mind and my mind is like a computer. In fact, truth of the matter is, <clears throat> the modern day computer that we have today is nothing more than a, a, a counterfeit of the greatest computer that man has ever seen, and that is your brain. Because as in a computer, it, it has incredible resources for information. You can, you can get from it anything that you want. And literally, we live in what we commonly call the information age today. We went through the agricultural age, we went through the industrial age, and now we're in the information age. And a man today, just by buying a a Kansas City Star newspaper, can have more information in that newspaper than a man that lived in the 16th and 17th century would amass in his whole life. Incredible! Incredible! take it past that and go on the internet and you have an unlimited resource of anything you want to find. I mean, it is anything the rest of your life you could explore that and never digest all the information. But I'm telling you, it's all stored in your computer. And all you have to do is go through the process of calling it up, get online, and the information will always be there. If you want to download it and put it into your computer, it will always be there till you dump it. And then I don't know if it really goes anywhere. I mean, where does it go when you dump it? I looked underneath it, it doesn't fall out on the floor. Where does it go? How do you do that? It says bin, or dump bin, or waste bin, or recycle bin. Well, I and mean, then I watch it. You push that button, this little arm throws a piece of paper in there. And I'm looking, where did it go? Is it still there? Or is it God? I don't know anything about life. I don't like computers. I, they scare me. I mean, I think the CIA someplace is reading every i at thinking, okay, here you are. All right, there you go. I don't know. I don't care. Well, you're worried about the CIA, God's keeping track of everything you look at on it. But anyway, I look at that and I think to myself, Wow, that's the way my mind is. That's the way my mind is a much better computer than that. And I, my mind never forgets anything. You know what dreams are. People say, "Well, you know, dreams are of God." Well, at one time they were. Sure, God spoke to people by dreams. Somebody said, "Well, I, you know, I went to sleep last night and I had a dream that the devil was chasing me, and 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 I looked up and I saw this light and I ran toward the light, and the closer I got to the light, the farther the devil was behind me. And finally, when I got right up next to the light, I turned around and the devil was gone." Bob, did God give me that dream? And I said, no. Should have cut off that last piece of pizza at six and dropped the last glass of beer, and you wouldn't probably have had that problem. Dreams aren't from God today. God doesn't give you a dream. I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I dreamed I was dying. And he said, honest, Bob, he said, I stepped out of my body, and I looked back, and there was my wife sleeping, and there was, there was my body, and I started to move toward this great light. And I started to move out, and I, I, I said, "I believe." And you hear all kinds of people talk about these deathbeds—how I went to heaven and came back, and you know, and 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 I, and so I, I heard a guy say, oh, "I went to hell and came back," but you know what? He didn't describe the hell of the Bible. I don't think he went to hell and back. I think he went to Topeka, Kansas or someplace, but it wasn't the pile of the Bible. And, and I, I, he said, I, I got toward this light, and I got close to this light, and right as I was, it was a big gate, and right as I got standing beside this gate, I heard this voice, that boom, the voice of God said, not ready yet. And he said, I woke up, and I was back in my bed. What do you think of that? Well, let me tell you what I think about it. You know, what I think about it, I, think, I, I don't think it was God. You know what dreams are? Dreams are your pop-ups in your computer. Dreams are you all day long, your computer's going. You're downloading all day long. You see, with your computer, you can shut it off and you can put it back in there and it doesn't, you can't do that with this one. You may not know it, but you're looking right now. You're seeing a tree. You're seeing that blue car go by. You're seeing the people out here. You're, going, you're not even thinking about it, but your computer is downloading everything then you go to sleep at night. You know, when you go to sleep at night, that is the closest point of you dying, uh, of your life other than dying. And it's a picture of death, because Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And when you die, you go to bed, and when you wake up in the morning, the sun comes up, type of Christ, and you start over again. Your body and my body is built around the premillennial return and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ found in the Bible. Sorry! But well, when you go to sleep at night, it is the only time, it is the only time that your brain is in neutral. And you've got all of these film clips floating around in your brain. All this download material from the time you were started downloading as a little baby, it's all in there. You have forgotten it, you don't remember it. The educated people call it your subconscious. And it's everything you've seen and experienced is still in there. You say, well, I uh, you know, you say, well, Bob, I just forgot. No, you didn't forget. You just was in the recycle bin, but you never really got rid of it. That's why somebody that's, you know, something happened 30 years ago. It's still like it happened yesterday. Why? Because the same thing on night. I know movies that were made back in 1950 that you can go home and watch this afternoon on the Family Channel or this channel or whatever and the Action Channel and they look like they were just made. They were made back in the 1950s. And you have thoughts in there that come back just like it was yesterday that was 20 years ago. So you're sleeping at night and you're just there, you know, and all these, your computers keep got all this information. And it's, it's now it's just kind of floating around in there because you're, you're not controlled. You're sleeping and you're out of it. And now depending on what you do with your body and all those things, there's a lot of factors. Suddenly, it's like, this is a piece of film strip from Freddy Krueger. This is a video from the Ten Commandments. Here's the Passion of Christ. Here's here's the thing that ate New York. Here's over here is Jaws 1, Jaws 2. Here's our family reunion back here. Here's my mother-in-law's birthday party. Here's this. And all floating around and suddenly, in the middle of that thing, all those pieces of film thing connect and suddenly, here comes your mother after Freddy Krueger, down after Jaws 2 and here comes the thing that ate New York and it's the weirdest thing you ever saw in your life. And you wake up and you say, wow, that didn't make any sense. Or we have the the deep-seated passions within us that we have that we want to experience things. God, heaven, hell, our dead loved ones. And we have that deep passion inside of. So we go to sleep at night, all those film clips start moving around and our subconscious and suddenly it becomes grandma's birthday, 1980. It becomes this, it becomes that. And it, it, right in the middle, the, the weirdest things happen. You know, here's your grandmother and she's over here and you're having that party. And suddenly here comes your dead uncle that died back in the 16th century showing up at the party. And you're wow, wow. And then he looks like your mother, even though it's your... Uncle, it just gets so confusing. Why? Oh, that computer's still running. Now when you sleep, you don't have any control over it. It isn't God. God speaks to you. He speaks to you through this book. But I don't put any stock in dreams. And I, usually, I don't know what my deal is. I was telling my wife this the other day. I don't ever dream. Lately, I've been having some wild ones. I ain't kidding you. I mean, I, I, you know, I usually just sleep, and I'm up, and I'm gone, man. And I get a, But lately, the last couple of weeks, I don't know if it's the medicine I'm on for my hypertension or what. I don't know. But I have just been the most unbelievable, not nightmares, but weird. I mean, you're a fireman, and you go to the fire, and then suddenly, you're the fire truck. But I know they're not a god. I know that that's the way my subconscious is. And I know this also. The Bible says God's day begins at night. The evening and the morning with the first day. The evening and the morning with the second day. You see, our day begins in the morning. God's day begins at night. So I know this. The last thing you put in your mind when you go to bed... Here's the first thing you're putting in on God's day, and then God can structure your day whole night through what the last thing you... You go to bed on the Word of God, you're going good. You to go to bed on nine pieces of pepperoni pizza, you're going on bad. You go on to bed on Psalms 119, you're doing good. You go on on, on, on on the NBC News or whatever, you're in bad shape. That's just a little something extra you can have. God's day begins at night. And God lays up When I invest my life into that book, God stores it. And it's in my computer. And this is my computer by which everything I need, if I go to my laptop or my computer and I need to find something out, I just type in something and in a minute, up it is. And then I can search it down and find it wherever I want. You see, when I put this thing, the Word of God, the sound doctrine in my mind, in my computer, when I download the Word of God more than anything else, then when I get into a situation, when I need something, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, when you're discipling, or you're talking to somebody and witnessing to them, you don't have to go to your mouse and and, and hit open and get the file. The Holy Spirit of God does that for you, and He brings up what you've downloaded, because He lays up, sound doctrine and sound wisdom for you. And nothing you read in the Bible will ever be lost. When you don't understand it all, the Holy Spirit of God says, gather it up. He can't eat it right now. She can't digest it right now. We'll store it. Download it. Three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, when she gets a grasp on some other things, or she learns some things, it'll be valuable that's the great thing about the Bible you never waste it some people say well you know what I'm reading this right now and I understand some of it but I don't understand all of it and it's kinda confusing that's okay get what you can you're downloading it man I have things in my mind in my Bible I've been reading you know and I've been reading over here someplace and suddenly out of the clear blue something will hit me that I read Ten years ago that I had absolutely forgotten about that God will recall it up, put it back, and open up a whole concept I never thought about. You know why? Because He layeth up. He layeth up sound wisdom. Then also in verse 7 it says this. It says, It says that He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Now, a buckler in the Bible is a shield. And that word buckler is an old English word and it, it means more than just a shield. But if we were in a, a book of Ephesians in the New Testament, this would be the shield of faith by which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So this buckler here, to them that walk uprightly, is your protection. God protects you. He gives you the ability to be protected. And that protection... <coughs> (coughs) is something that when the world comes after you, or whatever the case, whenever just the life goes sour for you, or you have struggle in life, when you do what's right with the Word of God, the Word of God protects you. And it becomes a buckler, a shield, but the word buckler carries with it more than that because the word buckler also suggests that it will sustain you. We use the word, it's going to buckle. We use the word, in, in England, they use the word, buck up, lad. In other words, hold yourself up. You see, the Word of God not only protects you, but it holds you up from caving in. Because there's times in life <laughs> when caving in seems like the thing to do. And the Word of God, will, because He lays it up, sound wisdom. Wisdom that is built on the absolute principles of God. Will keep you from buckling in the bad situations of life. It'll sustain you and hold you up when nothing else will. So we see there in verse 6 and 7, there's some tremendous things. He says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom. You gotta, you gotta program. You gotta get online with God, with this computer brain that God has given you. And you, you, that's what the Bible means when it says, let this mind be in you. You put the word of God, program it in your computer. And it'll override everything else. And you don't have a question of, well, you know, I had a dream last night and this and that. You understand what your mind is. It is a computer with millions and millions and millions and billions and trillions of pieces of information that you have put into your mind, into your brain, that you have processed, some good, some bad, some indifferent, some you don't even know you have. Some you've forgotten as far as recall years ago, but it is still there. And boy, if you can do that with Aunt Edna's birthday party 30 years ago, what can you do if you put the word of God in it? God will bring it up. And God will keep you. He will he'll 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 be a buckler to you. Then verse 8 and these are great, man. I mean, these are so practical of you understanding what the Word of God does for you once you do with it what you need to do. Verse 8. He keepeth the paths of judgment. He keepeth the paths of judgment. Well, this is a good one. You know, all my life, I've heard people say, don't judge me. I've heard this religious crowd all my life say, Judge not, lest you be judged, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, to which I always say, wrong dispensation. Matthew chapter 7 isn't to me. Matthew chapter 7 is the constitution of the kingdom that God's going to establish when he comes back at the second coming of Christ. Somebody says, Judge not, lest you be judged. No, no, the doctrine's taught in Paul's writing to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, when he says, He that is spiritual. Judgeth all things. You have to make judgments every day in your life. And judgment is a path. Life is a path. You have to walk on it. That's why the Bible says, the word of God is a lamp under my feet and a light under my. That wasn't very good. Light under my. Still wasn't very good. Light under my all right. He that is not with me is against me. (laughs) He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Every day in your life you have to make judgments. You have to. And you make them in everything. I mean everything you have to do. I'm telling you, that's why I think the what we did last Thursday night, you know, and I, I try to make it very clear. But you know, you still got people who who are going to hear what they want to hear. But I try to make it very clear when we were talking about the passion of Christ. I'm not mad at anybody. I don't care. I wasn't doing it because I was being critical. I was doing it because, as a Christian, when I am faced with something like that, that's going to have an impact on my life, I have to make a judgment about it. And I have one or two ways to do it. I can jump on the bandwagon with everybody else and let my emotions just flurry in the wind. Or I can go back to sound wisdom. And I can find out what God's opinion of it is and then make that opinion my opinion. And I'm telling you, I did that not just because of the fact that I wanted to take a swipe at it. I could care less about taking a swipe at it. I wanted to do it to teach you, my people... How, as an example, that that's just one thing. Oh, and I'm going to tell you right now. Watch it, very carefully, because they're all coming down the pike. I've been watching this thing for quite a while, haven't really said anything about it. But you know who the big next big hitter is going to be? Mary Magdalene. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've been watching this thing for the last six or seven months, and now there was a big article in the Star about it yesterday. Mary Magdalene. You know what? You know what they're saying now? Oh yeah, you can get any number of books today that says one, she was Jesus' wife or secret lover. All the way up to the fact that she was the 13th apostle. And what they're saying is, and this is where it's going, all these women who want to be preachers, all these women who who have a problem with authority and want to be what they're not supposed to be in the Bible, They're now rallying around Mary Magdalene and they're saying that the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John suppressed her because their male chauvinist attitude that she was really the kingpin that Jesus spent more time around her. She is the only one who was there at the resurrection and she was really the kingpin and they didn't like it because they're male and you know where this is going now? And she really was from... One writer comes out and says that she was the wife of Jesus secretly. The other one says that Jesus had sexual relations with her. The other one says that she was the 13th apostle all the way up that they put her on the same standard as Mary. I'm telling you, it's coming. And you're going to have to deal with that at work with all the women livers and all this crowd that, that believe in all of this stuff. And they're going to say, see, see, there it is. And now they're claiming that, that the, the Bible itself was written to suppress her, to keep her down, so that the male figure could be dominant. Oh, yeah. They even go so far to say that it was slander when the Bible says that Jesus cast out seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. That that was a lie because they wanted to keep her down let's all break into a chorus of let my people go. I have a dream. I'm telling you, it's the same stuff. And I'm telling you, your whole life is faced with those kind of things where you've got to hear it, you've got to listen to it, you've got to experience, and then you've got to make a judgment about it. Now, why you're lucky today? Do you know why you're lucky today? You're lucky today for one reason, because you got a book that lays these things out for you. Now I'm going to tell you, and I'm just going to say this: it's true. Don't get mad at me; it's true. We live in a world today where the Bible, they want the Bible as far away from being a final authority, absolute standard as can be. Why? So this kind of stuff can flourish. Because if you get rid of the Bible, you don't have any absolute standard. And I'm going to tell you right now, it isn't the world's fault, it's God's people's fault. I could take you right now on any new translation you want to get. Go bring me a new NIV or an old NIV or ASV. You know what I'll do? I'll go over to Mark, the last chapter of Mark, and I'll show you a footnote in your Bible that says even though it's in your Bible, I'll show you a footnote that says the last eight verses of that chapter are not to be trusted. They're spurious. They're not really in the Bible. We put them in because of tradition. But you can't trust them! I'll take you over there in, first, uh, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 5, one of the greatest miracles you find. Remember the story about the guy down by the pool of Siloam down there in Bethany, and every year the water moved and he went down and the first one had dipped his toe and it got healed. Every Bible scholar on this planet, just about, that doesn't believe this book, says that should not be in your Bible. You go over to 1 John, where it talks about the three that bear record in heaven, the greatest verse in the Bible on the Trinity. And you'll find a footnote that says this verse is not found in the best manuscripts. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can't trust your Bible there, then maybe Mary Magdalene really was what everybody else says she was. Where do we draw the line? What is truth and what isn't? And if you're left to your own discretion to decide what is and what is, we're all in trouble. There has to be, has to be, has to be somewhere in this world, one, absolute infallible standard because the Bible says it will keep you in the paths of judgment. You're going to be faced with a whole bunch of movies about Mary Magdalene. You're going to be faced with book after book how that she was this and she was that and none of it is going to be in the Bible because the and people are gonna come to it and they're gonna buy it and they're gonna believe it because 40 years ago Bible-believing men and women took this book out from under your nose and said, you can't trust it. And now where the world says you can't trust it, we all go, ooh, I'm all upset as a Christian. Well, your preacher tell you you can't trust it. What's the difference? There is no difference. Let me tell you something. Your whole life is going to be one of having to stay on that path of Judgment. Their your whole life is going to be faced with things that you, for your family, who your daughter dates, who their kids run around with, who they marry, who they this, who they that, your own life, about your wife and your, and your husband, what you allow into your personal life, what you read, what you don't, everything in your life, you, you're going to be impacted about people in your life that impact you wrongly or rightly. And you're going to have to make a decision. I can't be with them anymore. You don't make that decision based on your emotional whim. You make that decision based on sound wisdom. But you're going to have to make that call. And I I gave you the greatest, and I'll continue to do it. When things come up, we'll take time on Thursday night and go through it. Again, I wasn't fighting the movie, I could care less. But me as a Christian, when I'm faced with it, I have to deal with it and make a judgment about me. can't make it for you. You're my people. I'm your pastor. I want to show you how to make it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to make it. Well, then the next thing. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Let me just say something to you. In life as a Christian, not everything that's going to happen to you is going to be good. Now that doesn't mean that it's bad from God's standpoint. But we as human beings, we allow our emotions sometimes to get ahead of the God or the Word of God and maybe we don't always see things the way they are at the time and that's just human. We've all been there and done that. But the truth of the matter is, you've got to realize no matter what happens in this life, once you've got saved, you're His. And God's going to preserve you just like He preserved His Word. And God is going to get you home to heaven and take care of you in spite of yourself and myself. And you're going to realize that through life, tough times are going to come. Maybe you haven't experienced them yet. Maybe you have. I don't know. I'm not saying this with any particular thing in mind. I'm saying is it a general truth that it's going to happen. You know, I have a hard time listening to Christian radio today. I have a little, it just drives me nuts. You get these little things, and none of it's true. It all has this false effeminate effeminate concept, and none of it's true. I mean, it's just, it's his spiritual gas, man, that it just, it just it leaves you empty. And, I, you know, I, I, you've got this little thing where, you know, they, they, they have these little places where you call up and you get the thought for the day. And you call it up there and it's this effeminate male voice. I mean, if this guy isn't gay, he's missing the best chance he's had all day. I'm not kidding you. And it's effeminate, I mean, I'm a man. And if I want something from a, I I want a man. I want somebody up there and saying, look, guy, stay in the fight. Hang in there, son. He's coming. That's what I want. You get this little guy in here and says, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us be glad and rejoice. Now, what is that doing for me? First of all, it's only half true. Yes, it's the Lord's day. Yes, I'm the glad and rejoice. But you know what? What you ought to say is this. Hey, pal, God made the day. It's His day. Give thanks for all things, but i got some news for you. You're going to get it in the neck today. <laughs> Glory to God. No, I can do something with that. But this effeminate stuff, man. Hey, uh, that isn't me. Maybe that's you. I don't know. And maybe a lady needs that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking as a male show I don't know. I'm just telling you. I I I I don't see Christianity as that way. I mean I think Christianity is a you're a soldier in a warfare. And Jesus Christ is the captain of my salvation. And I'm in a war locked in a battle that's greater than any battle and you know what? I've been around army guys. You know what? If I got to go into a battle and I got to be in a foxhole with somebody at three o'clock in the morning, when the flares go off and they come over the hill yelling "Banzai, Ai, or you know whatever the case may be, I don't want somebody looking over my shoulder that looks at me and says, "This is the day the Lord hath made." <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. No. <laughs> I want somebody to look over their shoulder and say, hey, they may get us, but let's get some of them. That's the guy I'm looking for. And that's the way it is in Christianity. We're in a war. And I'm going to tell you something. If you learn anything in time, you're going to learn that if you're saved, God is going to preserve you. He's going to preserve you. And you better understand, this life is a veil of tears the devil's going to kick you six ways from sunday your family's going to hate you your friends are, especially if you love this book you're going to have people that's going to dump you dump on you and dump everywhere around you so what you know what you'll find you'll find in time 20 30 years from now maybe there will be two great stories in the Bible that are your favorites. And they're my favorites. First one is my favorite. It goes right along with God preserving you. First one's my favorite. is old Joseph back there in Genesis. And you know the story. He's back there and he's the favorite of his father with all the other boys. They envy against him. And I'm not saying that Joseph was perfect. I don't believe he was. I believe there's some things that he reading between the lines back there. I think there's probably some things that he did that uh, he probably incited it. We're all human. But be that as may, he got it, man. And his brethren sold him into Egypt, into Pharaoh down there, went back, made up this elaborate scheme, went back and told his father that he's dead and all this stuff. And my, 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 how the hand of God, what goes around, comes around. There they are, get into a famine, no food. Father says, go to Egypt and buy corn, walk into Pharaoh, and lo and behold, who do they see? Now, he's number two in the kingdom. He could have had their heads cut off, he could have done everything in the world to him, But you know what? He didn't. You know why? Because he understood something, and it's something you better learn. There's bad things in this life that's going to happen to you. Some of because of some of the dumb things we did. Some of it is going to be because of the fact you get it for believing the book. But you know what? Whether it is or whether it is, the bottom line is, you better understand that if you love that book and you love God, He will preserve your way and you can stand there. And this story will be so real because He says in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, He says, as for you, talking to His brother, as for you, oh, here it comes, kill them, cut off their head, Pull out their arms, cut out their fingers, burn them with their snake. As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto me for good. You know what he understood? He understood that God would preserve you. That bad times are going to come, and you better grasp it. That God will preserve you. And no matter what anybody does that's evil to you, that means it for your evil. If you love that book, God means it for your good. Daniel's my next one. Daniel chapter 6. Oh, I love it. Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is, a, is my favorite guy in the Bible. I mean, he's incredible in the Old Testament. And next time I preach, it will be somebody else. But today, he's my favorite. And you know the story. He gets thrown in the lion's den. Now I'm not saying Daniel did everything right. In fact, they bowed down and worshipped him over there and he didn't say get up. He kind of enjoyed it. I mean, he's head guy in the kingdom. He's, he's all this kind of thing. You know what? He got thrown down the lion's den. Tough place to be. And in this life, there's some times that you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't ever worry about being thrown in the lion's den as long as The Lion of the tribe of Judah goes in with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. I'm telling you. Preserveth the way. Preserveth the way. Then he says this. Then he says this. He says... He says, "Where am I at here?" He's oh, I'm okay. down here in verse uh, nine. I'm so excited; I can't even get together this morning. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. He says, "Then shall understand righteousness." That's who God is. Judgment is what God said, and then he says, "You get equity." You know what equity is? That's balance. That's balance. You gotta have, that's keeping things in perspective. And that's the toughest thing sometimes to do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he says, Every man, uh, strive, that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Balance. Balance. He says, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, All things are lawful. I'm under grace. All things are lawful. I'm not under the law. All things are lawful unto me. But he says all things are not expedient. That means not always wise to do. Why? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, I have liberty in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do within reason that isn't a direct violation of the Word of God. And that's a lot of things. But my goal in life as a Christian is to stay balanced. Balanced. Because balance is the key to me keeping my, on the right path. And there's lots of things out there that I can do, but if I do them, there's a danger that they will control me more than I will control my life. And boy, that can be anything. And there isn't anything in your life and my life that should control you more than this book does. Not your job, not making money, not this, not that, not anything or anything you get into. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you can. There's there's so many things as a child of God that you can do. And I know you got this little clique out here of groups that you know that that tries to put you in shackles and chains and, and don't let you think for yourself. The bottom line is, you got. A, I learned a long time ago as a pastor, it's not my job to legislate morals. It's my job to preach the truth and then put that truth in your heart and then the Holy Spirit of God of your saved, will take that truth and deal in your heart and you have to make the judgment call. My job is not to dress you. My job is not to tell you this or tell you that. My job is every time I stand in this pulpit to give you sound wisdom. And there's nothing in our lives that should run us and you know as well as I do, when it happens, we get out of balance. We lose our perspective. And we do dumb things. Or we do this. Or we ruin this. Or we ruin that. Or we, get into, or we get under bondage of this. And you cannot. That's why you have to understand that when you do what Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 3 and 4 do tell you to do, this is what God does for you. He'll keep you on the paths of judgment. He'll preserve you. And He'll understand balance in your life. And then lastly, and this to me is the most valuable thing. I mean, the Bible does a lot of things for us. But if I was to pick one thing as a child of God that the God gives me through His Word that is the most valuable thing that I'm going to use in my life and you're going to need in your life, it's this thing right here. Verse 10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee." You see, when you get wisdom, and you get knowledge, and you get understanding, you know what it produces in the biblical sense? It produces discretion. You know what discretion is? It's discernment. You know what discernment does for you? It tells you what's real and what's phony. And in this world, 99.9999% of it is phony and less than one millionth of a percent is real. And you and I, as a Christian, have the obligation to be able to discern what is real and what is phony. And when you get out of balance, when you get your emotions involved, when you get all these other things out of whack, that's tough. When you're bombarded with this and that, and everybody at work says, oh, this is it, and this, you know, whatever, this, and it, whatever the fat is now, wherever the wind blows, man, and it's going to keep on blowing and keep on coming, you have to have discernment. I had a kid one time that I had a disciple that worked for the federal government, and he worked in the aspect of, of, the, of the dealing with counterfeit. And that's always intrigued me. Because I always thought, my, my, those guys, you know, uh, and I, never, I never fully understood, you know, to what elaborate things, I mean, a, a counterfeiting is, a, is an art, man. And I asked him one time, I said, man, I said, you must have to go to school 30 years. How do you spot counterfeits? I said, obviously there's some that's bad, but I know there's some that is absolutely, really, incredibly good. And you all day long, I said, how do you ever investigate anything? You've got to be keeping up on all the new techniques. You've got to look at all the new phony money. And you've got to put in your mind. I said, do you carry pictures of them around in your wallet? How do you do it? How do you ever amass the knowledge to know what all the phony money looks like? You know what he told me? He said, well, that, 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 that's not how they teach us. They don't teach us to study phony $100 bills. They teach us to study A real hundred dollar bill. And when you know what a real hundred dollar bill looks like, the phonies will just stand out like they had neon signs in them. And I thought to myself after that, boy that guy taught me more that day than I taught him. Because you know what? That's what this book does. I don't have to go out there and investigate all the things that are out there i got an absolute standard that tells me what sound wisdom is and gives me sound doctrine. You know what? When you study the real book, the book shows you very clearly what the phonies are. And this is the greatest single thing the Bible will do for you as a Christian outside of saving you. You know what it does? It gives you the ability to read the fine print of life. I've dealt with people for 35 years of my life. And I've learned one thing about human nature. I realized that this book that I've got in my hands, one of the other things it does, that it critiques human nature in such a degree that it's unbelievable. And if you want to find out what's phony, study what's real. When I was, you know, and I I learned a long time ago, you know, you, you, you you deal with people, people will lie to you. They'll mislead you. They'll hide, they'll do everything in the world except just give you the truth. And i found that if you just study what's real, I'll tell you one of the stories, and I've told you some of this before, but I remember years ago as a young guy, I was reading the story of Solomon in First Kings chapter 3. And this story is a story where Solomon talks about how wise he is, and I'm thinking to myself, wow. And then he tells this story. The two women came into him, and they had a baby. And they come up before the king and he was hearing all the, all the issues that day. And the one they tell telling this story. The one woman says, we, I had a baby, she had a baby, and you know, my baby died, rolled over and died, or whatever the case, and she took my baby, and, and, and this is really my baby, and she says, it's hers, the other lady said, no, 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 king, this is my baby, it's really not hers, it was her baby that died, now he's got a dilemma. And I have found myself in those dilemmas many, many times, dealing with people and telling me about who's right, who's wrong, who did this, she said what, and all these things. And you know what? I don't know who's telling the truth. I'll tell you something else. Solomon didn't know. Bible very clear to tell you they're both harlots. He didn't know them. He had no idea who was telling the truth. And there's sometimes when a husband and a wife comes in and she says this, he says that. You have no idea who's telling the truth. Solomon just said this. He says, Okay, I know how we'll deal with this. Hey, bring me a sword. Brought that sword out. He says, Okay, here's what we'll do. I'll just whack the baby in half. You can have one half, you can have the other. Everybody happy with that? The real mother said, because she loved the baby, and she would rather have the baby go to somebody else than die. And the real mother said, no, 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 give it to her. Now, when I read that story, I I, got to confess, as a young Christian, when God started showing me these things, this was one of these things that laid around in a basket for a long time before I figured it out. And I'll never forget, I got looking at that and I thought to myself, that is the strangest thing. Because right at the end of that chapter, the Bible says the whole world wondered at the wisdom of Solomon over this deal. And I thought to myself, well, what happened if that wouldn't have worked out? And they they both would have said, okay, would he cut the baby in half? I said, I'm not sure I see the wisdom in that. Then years later, God brought one of those 12 baskets with the fragments in it that I was talking about. And I got over there in Hebrews chapter 4 and I saw where the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. Piercing even the dividing son of the soul and spirit. And discerning even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I learned a great counseling principle. You got two people to come in, say he said, she said. You don't have to decide who's right and who's wrong. Just put them under a sword, the word of God. Say, come to this church, get involved in the Bible, be here Thursday night, be here Sunday morning, let so-and-so disciple you, let so-and-so disciple you. Will, don't worry about whose problem it is, just get into the Bible, it'll solve your problem. You know what that sword will do? It'll always produce who's telling the truth and who's telling not. Because you you can do a lot of things. You can fake this, you can fake that, you can fake this, you can fake your eyebrows, you can fake your hair, you can fake your hair color, you can fake this, you can fake that. You cannot fake being a true child of God walking in the light. Can't do it. You'll trip yourself up. I'll give you another one. I hate to give you all my clues here. Sometime after that, I was eating some more, and God brought another basket. I would read back there in Genesis. Well, Genesis chapter twenty-seven. You know the story of Isaac, Jacob, Esau. You all know the story. And Jacob gets a scheme with his mother to deceive Isaac to get the blessing go back and study the scheme it's an elaborate scheme which I've learned years after that some of the things that people would tell me were very elaborate and sometimes they involved other people to bring off the and a lot of times, a lot of times as they did in Genesis they'll even bring God into it to try to make it real but you know what there's always a way around that example Put them under the authority of the word of God. But there's a better one. I guess some good one here. In the deception, what's Jacob do? The Bible says that Jacob was a plain man. Esau was a hairy man. Isaac's blind. He doesn't know who's who. You know what happened? He went out there and his, my, his mother made up some stew, chili, whatever, and brought it in there and she put this big hairy coat on him. And he walks in there and his father's blind. And he says, "And father's kind of suspect right off the bat. He says, how'd you find it so quickly, son? God brought it to me, dad. See how they always bring God into it? Now that appeased Isaac. Kind of. He comes over there, brings it, and Isaac feels him. And what a classic statement, he says. He says, you know what? I'm confused. This is the voice of Jacob. But it feels like Esau. How many times I walked out of a situation and said to myself, sounded like Jacob. Sure felt like Esau. Esau. There was a deception. Now if the old man would have carried that principle all the way to the end, because the Bible says, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. If he'd have investigated a little bit farther, checked it out and just held him accountable, he'd have found the great principle. I just don't listen to what a man says. I watch what a man does. I just don't listen to the voice. I'll check out the hands. If Isaac would have just said, Come here, let me check this out. How come you sound like Esau, your hands feel like your uh, Jacob and your hands feel like Esau? Get over there and let me get a good feel on you. Well, you're a deceiver. But he didn't. Somebody comes in and says, Bob, I want to do what's right, I want to do this, I want to do that. Sounds like Jacob. Watch what they do. You see, you can say anything, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in time, the attitude will always produce the wrong action. Remember Thursday night? And what will happen is, you'll really see what you have when you listen to the voice, and then you check out the hands. And you know what that's called in the Bible? Accountability. You want to know if I'm doing what's right or not? Accountability. Listen to what I say, watch what I do. That's your job. That's my job for you, your job for me. I'm accountable for you, you're accountable for me. And when you understand sound wisdom, biblical principles, like Solomon and the sword producing the truth, and the voice versus the hands. Not being right and a deception. When you learn those principles and you learn human natures and you can go through those two stories and you can find every circumstance you're going to get in and you're going to find those things and you put Proverbs to it that tells you what this is and what that is and all the things that go with it. Let me tell you something. You have, you will get discernment. Not based on this book I read on counseling or not this book on this or this book here. You'll get it on the absolute standard that has sound wisdom that will give you discretion and, make you, and let you make the value judgments you need to make based on absolute truth. And you'll learn some things. You know why most preachers and most counselors get deceived in the first place? They make a fatal mistake. They want the person that they're working with many times, and I've told you this over the years. You're working with somebody. They say they want to do what's right. That's great. They say they want to clean their life up. I'm all for it. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and I will give you whatever time it takes. But, I will not want you to do right more than you do. Because the moment you do, you will be deceived. The moment you want that person to come to church more than they want to come, the more that per- you want that person to do what's right more than they do, you will shortcut God's standards and you'll get into a situation where you'll become vulnerable. And you will be deceived. No, no, no. Follow the guidelines of sound wisdom. Put them under the authority of the book. Listen to what they say. Voice of Jacob. Make sure it matches up that it's not the hands of Esau simple discretion you look in this life the Bible will do one thing for you it'll give you the discretion and the discernment to look at this world full of phony things and discern what is real versus what is phony and I'm telling you you need to do that first for yourself second for your family third for your ministry and for your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ I don't put them in the order of importance I put them in the order that we deal with them in life Because ultimately you'll give an account of Jesus Christ for everything. But I'm telling you, that is what you need to do. That's what the Bible does for you. You just don't study it and do all those things that I told you about just for the fact so you you can say, I know the Bible. When you invest your life into it, and you do what it says, it gives you something back. And it preserves you. It keeps you on the right path. And all then, next week, we're going to look at the two things that it gives you discernment about. One of them is the evil man, and the strange woman. Bring your mother-in-law next week. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I love mother-in-laws. I love mine more than anything in this world, next to my dogs. Just kidding again. Next week, we all come to this point. You've got a good foundation. Bound what it does for you now. Next, next week, the two things that will make you or break you in this world. And brother, when you're done with this thing in chapter 2, you honest to goodness, you will have everything you need, everything you need to combat this world and to stay on top of it, that it doesn't deceive you, that you have the discretion and discernment to know what is real and what is phony. Every head bowed and every eye closed.